Hello, I'm Kurt Whitesell and want to welcome you to the coolest and most informative podcast in the Westfield, Indiana area. What's up, Westfield? What's up, Westfield is a local chat fest to dig deep into politics, development, who's doing what, and anything else we can fit into 45 minutes of fun behind a microphone. If you have topics or an interest in being an amazing guest, please reach out to us, and we'd love to hear your ideas. Today we are online for our September edition, and my big-time guest today is one of Westfield's standout volunteers and community leaders. Our guest has had an exciting career as a high-ranking Marine, small business owner, and one of Westfield's current city councilors. He's also recently announced his official run to be the next mayor of Westfield. Hopefully today, we can learn a little bit more about him, and this will be a fun one. Please welcome Mr. Scott Willis to the podcast. Hey Scott, how are you today? Great, how are you Kirk? Good, thanks for doing my podcast. So we've been, I've been waiting to do this for a little while. Um, yeah, I was feeling neglected. I, I would have thought you'd have done this way earlier, but I guess not. And I've actually avoided the topic with you. When I see you, I, I duck out when I think you might be bringing it up. So, <laughs> so um, well, thank you very much. I think this will be fun. Um, I think it's timely because now that you've officially announced your next step and things like that. So I just think it's cool and uh, have looked forward to it. So, um, all right. So to start this, can you just, uh, for those of us that don't know who the heck you are, um, introduce yourself. Give us the, the quick, I'm Scott Willis and get to know you. Sure. Yeah. So I was born and raised here in central Indiana, grew up actually in Kokomo. And uh, after I graduated from high school, I went off to Purdue and boiler up and uh, majored, <laughs> majored in civil engineering. Um, you know, halfway through my junior year of college, Desert Storm happened. And uh, I, have a, I have a family history of Marines going all the way to my great grandfather in World War One. So I felt the calling to serve. So after I graduated, I joined the Marines and uh, served my country on active duty for four years. Um, got out. Entered corporate America, really started started up a couple of businesses. I'm kind of an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, got back into the reserves while I was doing all my corporate America gigs, and uh, and ultimately retired from the Marines back in uh, April of this year after 30 years of service. So um, I've been very active in the community as well as you know. I'm on several boards of directors here locally, <clears throat> Student Impact, the Library, Westville Y Steering Committee. Um, I'm on several national level veterans boards, and then I've been involved in the city from the RDA to the planning commission to now city council. What was the RDA? Redevelopment Authority. Authority. So I was on the RDA at the time. Basically, they manage or handle the bonds for Grand Park. Okay. So I was on the RDA at the time where it went from the city leasing land to actually purchasing the land and, and controlling the finances of the park. Is there still an RDA? There is. Yep, there is. Is it called the the RDA? As long as as the bonds are active for Grand Park, the RDA will exist. But that's not the RDC. No. So the RDA owns the bonds. The RDC leases the the park from the RDA, where they're basically the owners of the park from a financial perspective. Because why would things be simple, right? (laughs) It's government. It's so hard. Nothing is easy. I mean, I'm sure it it makes sense. I'm sure there's liability and reason for it, but it's just so difficult. But um, I'm glad there's smart people to do that. So, okay, so military, what was your ranking? What were you? What did you do in the military? Desert Storm drew you in, but. Yep. And the funny thing was before I, the joke is before I got back to my dorm room after signing the paperwork, the war was over. Uh, (laughs) So now what do I do with myself, right? right? But uh, no, I, um, so I, I retired a colonel. Um, in the reserves and my, my MOS, my job was artillery, but I did a lot of different things throughout my career, you know, to include time, you know, in artillery, I'd spent, uh, three years in tanks as a commander. Um, I was a commander of a, of a communications detachment up in Grissom Air Reserve Base. Um, I got involved in, um, working with FEMA, uh, on natural disasters and, um, you know, we partnered, we were the DOD link between state emergency management teams and FEMA. So, for example, when the hurricanes down in, in Florida, down the south portion of our country, we would fly in as the hurricanes are rolling into the coast 
and we would set well, up a command center basically and run relief operations, you know, whether it be um, recovery of bodies, mm -hmm. recovery of families sitting on top of a roof to providing food, water, power, all the logistics that comes with a, hmm. a major disaster relief operation. So, so were you, and you may have just said this, but were you actually in battle in the I was. war? Okay. So yeah, when you so say I you were a tank or Yeah. So I, I actually just moved to Westfield mm -hmm. in 2004 and my wife and I are literally doing a walkthrough <laughs> of our first home and I get the call that, hey, your unit's being mobilized. At the time, I commanded a communications detachment. We had about 150 Marines in our company. And they said, hey, you guys are going. And uh, which was, we knew it was coming. I mean, mm -hmm. for, for two years, three years, I'd watched the war on terrorism develop. And I knew eventually my number was going to get called. And for several years, my wife and I kind of just planned our lives around that potential. Mm -hmm. And finally, we're like, you know, we just need to live our lives. Yeah, right. Whatever happens, happens. And as soon as we did that, I get mobilized. So now I'm in a house awesome. that I can't afford on active duty pay. Right. Because uh, my income shot in, in over half. I got cut in half when I got mobilized. So it was a very challenging uh -huh. first year in Westville for my wife and I. I bet. But yeah, I was put on the uh, Syrian border and uh, we set up a blocking position. Uh, a lot of al-Qaeda was coming through Syria into Iraq. Mm -hmm. So we set up a blocking position. We cleared out a bunch of cities along the Euphrates. And then we set up safe zones or havens for the constitutional referendum, the national election. We were there for both of those events. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And we set up the polling stations and security operations to ensure residents could get in and, and vote. And it was really amazing. I talk about this on the campaign trail quite a bit. You know, in Hamilton mm -hmm. County, around Westville, we had 11% turnout in our last municipal election. And in Iraq, when we were there for the constitutional referendum was a 98% turnout. And they were oh, active right. terrorist cells that were trying to hunt down citizens and kill them to keep them from voting. They were doing everything they could to stop democracy. And despite that danger, mm -hmm. people showed up and voted. It was really an incredible time to be there. That is amazing. As easy as it is, as it is for us to vote, we yeah. don't do it, but they actually have to fight to vote That's and they right. all do it. They're crossing in through lines and, and uh, uh -huh. you know, suicide bombers and all the things that came with the time we were over there. It was really scary for them, mm -hmm. uh, but, but they showed up. 98% of the population showed up and voted. So you said you were a tank commander. I was. You're like in a tank charging and you got yeah. other people in it, the big thing out the front and all that. Yep, I commanded. Awesome. So I was a platoon commander and then eventually the executive officer as a platoon commander. I had uh, four tanks that reported into me, uh -huh. four Marines on each tank. And then when I became an executive officer, basically I ran a company and then it was, uh, I think we had 15 or 16 tanks, about uh -huh. 150 Marines. We had other assets, other equipment to do maintenance and uh -huh. lo supply logistics. You can't carry a whole lot on a tank outside of rounds. Uh -huh. So you had to have a supply chain coming from behind you to, to bring food, water, those kinds of things. So it's not like a tractor supply, a little trailer behind it, yard garden trailer behind it, holding everything. No, nope. like <laughs> no. So f 15 tanks, um, that doesn't sound like a, it's a lot when you're running them, I'm sure. But is that like, are there like thousands of tanks in an area? Um, no, the Marine Corps doesn't have, uh, at the time we only had, I don't know the exact number, but we had uh, two active battalions on active oh, okay. duty tanks. And then we had two in the reserve. So, you know, several hundred tanks, but a tank company, you know, we're not all going to be bunched up. You want to spread mm -hmm. out for tactical reasons. So I, I might have my company spread out over a mile. Oh, um, okay. It's really tough to command and control tanks that are rolling 50, 60 miles an hour through a desert. And, you know, you're trying to, on the radio, trying to communicate people, try to figure out why is that, make sure you're not getting friendly fire. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was challenging, but I loved it. That was one of the funnest times I had in the Marine Corps. I bet it was exciting. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. So, over, okay. So the last, I don't know, five years, I don't feel like you've been at war nope. knowing you, but what has your job been in the military the last five years? So I was the last four years, I was the inspector general for fourth Marine division. So uh, there were uh, roughly 35 commands spread out across the country. And I would bring in a team of uh, 50, 60 Marines, very senior level Marines, and we would come in and inspect those reserve units for operational readiness to deploy. So we would look at their equipment, 
their ammunition, their maintenance, their admin, anything and everything that goes into being ready to deploy uh, in combat. And we would give them a grade. We'd spend about a week in, in, in a, at a reserve unit and we would basically peel the onion back and give them a score. And that score drove whether or not they were uh, deemed operationally fit to deploy. It was a great job. I really, really enjoyed it. Where was that at? Where were you physically inspecting stuff? So our command center was in New Orleans, but I was very rarely there. I would usually mm -hmm. fly out of Indianapolis and I was all over the place, California, mm -hmm. Boston, Florida, and everywhere in between. I mean, we have bases, reserve centers all over the country. So you went to them wherever it was, no matter what. Okay. We would roll then, in in about four days. We, like I said, we just peel the onion back one layer at a time. So you get really good at asking the question, why? I bet. Why do you do that? <laughs> then why do you do that? And then why do you do that? And you try to get to a root cause to figure out are they actually doing what they're supposed to do or not? Uh -huh. so. Was that fun? Was that, a, I know you have a family at home and older kids now, it's important to be there, but was it fun going there and meeting these young military people and getting to know them and stuff like that? Was that fun? It was. And I learned a lot because not all reserve units are sa the same. They have different missions and different capabilities. And you have mm -hmm. to really learn the big picture of the Marine Corps because I'm supposed to come in and grade them and tell them uh, how good they really are. So mm -hmm. it really forces you to learn and get out of your comfort zone. And, and I just enjoy I enjoy being around Marines. I mean, yeah. you roll in for the weekend and it's uh, you got the uniform on and and uh, it, it's just kind of a, a way to disconnect from reality for me. Yeah. Hard parts coming back home, uh -huh. spending four or five days with Marines. <laughs> it's usually, uh, we'll keep this way to G for this conversation. Yeah. Uh, you can use some church and family. Act, it's not, it's not that good for public consumption. So. Yeah. Right. So you don't have any video. I, I know video. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell. I'm not going to share it. It's That's like, awesome. When you go to Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays right? in Vegas. Same, thing here, so. Same in the well, military. <laughs> but it was funny because when I first, um, you know, when my kids were little, um, my wife would always make sure the first night that I came home, there was separation between me and the kids um, just to make sure that something didn't slip out of my mouth uh -huh. that it shouldn't have. Get the language cleaned up for on you. Yeah, that's pretty good idea. I needed that decompression time. Uh -huh. so. That's awesome. <laughs> so, all right. So, military, awesome. Um, thank you for all that. But what I met you as was a businessman. Until I met you, and I know you as a recruiter, uh, essentially. So, tell me about that. Tell me how you got into that. Uh, I know you've been a part of two companies, I think, in that maybe more. But how you got into it and what that job was? Sure. So I, um, when I came off active duty, I went to work for Corning Incorporated over in Pennsylvania. And I was with them for a few years and wanted to come back home to Indiana. And so I had reached out to an executive search firm called MRI, uh, a huge global executive search firm, and asked them to help me get back to Indiana. And they ended up uh, finding me a job with General Motors uh, down in Anderson. And I was the uh, director of engineering and maintenance for them, ran their, their facilities group. And I was with them just a couple of years and General Motors went through that process of spinning off all their tier two and three suppliers. So the company got spun off, created its own company, uh, but it quickly went downhill fast and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. So I'd reach back out to that firm and said, hey, can you help me find a job? They were based out of Noblesville. You got to get me out of here. And one thing led to the next and they offered me a job. And I was like, never saw that coming. I mean, I was an engineer management kind of guy and I'm going to an individual contributor sales type role doing business development type activities but it, it was a perfect job for me I really thrived in it I was with them for about five years and then I got mobilized to go to Iraq and I had one year non-compete I had one year orders to Iraq and so I resigned took it took a real gamble quite frankly I resigned went to Iraq came back and started up my own company and I built that for about 13 years uh, the company's name was Arnett Management Solutions. And then we got to a point where I was starting to think about next steps, possibly running for mayor, you know, possibly looking at some other uh, endeavors. And uh, one of my clients actually approached me out of the blue and said, hey, we've always wanted to have an executive search capability. We're interested in possibly buying your firm. And so that kind of led to about a year's long worth of conversations. And uh I ended up selling to them. Their name is Theorist. They're based out of Indianapolis. They're a mm -hmm. global professional services company. And I'm now running 
their new division of executive search. I got to stay with them through the end of next year. And then uh, my non-compete expires. And my hope is, is that January 1st of 2024, I'm Mayor Westfield. Uh, uh-huh. But if for some unseen reason I don't win, I'll probably start up another company. Jen, Jen will be glad to hire you at the pizza place if it doesn't work out. Always can flip pizzas, right? <laughs> right. So what is, uh, what, what's a recruiter do throughout the day? What was your daily job? What was your, what'd you do when you were back on your own? So forget the management piece, you know, management, mm-hmm. managing a sales team is really no different than executive search and as any other organization, mm-hmm. but purely from a functional standpoint, a lot of my time was spent doing business development. So I would be networking with companies um, in various industries. Uh, my niche is pharmaceutical and biotech, but my firm did a lot of different industries. So I would be out there business developing, trying to bring in clients. And then uh, my team would all most likely fill a lot of those jobs I brought in. Sometimes mm-hmm. if it's a high level search, I would do the recruiting side of it as well but I was mainly responsible for bringing the business. So, mm-hmm. and I've worked, and that's one of the things I think carries over to being mayor of Westfield. I've worked with little tiny startup companies to fortune 500 companies. I helped Pfizer uh, build a brand new facility in Terre Haute. And uh, I staffed a big chunk of their professional workforce there. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've, I've got that experience in, in networking with very high level executives to small mm-hmm. business owners or just kind of getting going. So was, have things changed a lot since you started your company and then today what you're doing in that industry? You know, the job itself hasn't changed, but Mm -hmm. mechanics certainly have. I mean, when I started, we had green screens, computers, and we had Rolodexes, (laughs) right? Where you kept contacts. Yeah. Uh Too young to remember this. Yeah, I don't know know what you're talking about right now. (laughs) And now everything's done. You know, you got computers, you got databases, it's all in the cloud, you've got LinkedIn. I mean, you've got all kinds of tools that we just never had. I mean, I can remember this was back when I was at MRI as a recruiter. Um, I had a second shift. No, I'm sorry. A third shift production supervisor role that I was trying to recruit for. Third shift usually works 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So I literally ran to my office at three in the morning because I had to get my workout in for the Marine Corps. (laughs) Got to my office at 3 a.m. and started pounding the phone, trying to find an off-shift supervisor for a client. You that's just root around. I mean, that's uh-huh. how you did it. So, and you filled it. And I filled it. I filled and so it. do you still run to work at 3 a.m.? No. <laughs> In fact, I don't run very much. I'm only a couple of days a week now, but uh, right. I used to run seven days a week, especially in my in my years in the Marine Corps. So, so um, you at one point, you were just in the private world working do you do you miss kind of that did did you enjoy just being a businessman you weren't involved in politics you were just grinding and family and stuff like that do you ever miss that or is Um, it not that different there are days certainly i call myself a professional arrow catcher Um, (laughs) no matter what decisions we make on council you're getting arrows from somebody somebody right Uh um so there, there are times when you're in that grind where you're like man how nice would it be to go home and know that I, I don't have a commitment that night or to be able yeah. to go in town and have dinner and not have your A game on. You know, I just go in there uh-huh. and nobody knows me and nobody cares and I can just eat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I have a real passion for serving and I have a real passion for serving Westfield. Um, I'm super excited about our community and where we're going. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, I, I take the bad with the good because I, yeah. I, I can't imagine not doing uh, what I'm doing. Well, um, okay. So you are, you're still obviously in the recruiting business, but you have an exit planned. You have a date uh, that you either do your own thing or you do something else. Uh, if, if you don't become the mayor of Westfield, um, but your goal is to become the mayor of Westfield. So how did you get started in politics? Um, what what was your first political uh, goal? Where did, where'd you go first when you were starting in politics? So because of my military service and being a small business owner and, and what have you, um, you know, I brought a background that was attractive to, to my party, the Republican Party. Uh-huh. And I had, uh, I had a few people within the, the inner circles of the Republican Party here in Hamilton County had reached out to me about getting involved and eventually running for office. And so that, that I never really thought that I would run for office. My grandfather was an elected official and 
Howard County in Kokomo for 33 years. <laughs> and I really had a passion for politics, but I uh -huh. never really wanted to be the point person yeah. not running for office. But uh, as I, as I, as it kind of set in, I started thinking about it and I started talking to Stacy about, you know, what that might mean and what it might look like. I, it, it just started to really get, I get passionate for it. Uh -huh. And uh, I kind of, you know, got a bug and just can't get it out of me now. And it's, it's just something that, you know, I, 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 as I think about mayor of Westfield and I look at the landscape and I look at how much things are changing, we've got some real challenges in this city. I mean, it's yeah. a great place to live, but we've got a lot of challenges we're going to have to overcome. I started looking out in the community and thinking, well, if it's not me, who's it going to be? I just felt like I needed to serve that, you know, I've been, my experiences in life have set me up to do this and why not me? So that, that's kind of why I, I end up making a decision to run for mayor. Um, so, but you've run for you've run for office before. You ran for what yeah. Senate? I ran for state Senate back in 2016, and that was a huge mistake. But I learned <laughs> a learning so lesson. Much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've always said I learn more from failure than I do successes, uh, and so I learned an, an incredible amount. How did you do that? Why did you? Where did that come up? Why would you just run for Senate? I know that you don't just do it. There's, yeah, that that was being pushed on by some people in the party again who, uh -huh. who really saw we had a, a very long-standing senator at the time um, a lot of people felt like he had lost focus on his county he was in a a high level you know he was the number two guy in the senate mm -hmm. so he was looking more broadly at state issues versus hamilton county mm -hmm. and so people felt like it was time for change and, and that, knowing what i know now i would have known that there was no way i was ever going to beat this guy mm -hmm. um, but you know being young, dumb, and naive, I, I dove in head first, like, like Marines do. Uh -huh. I knew probably two weeks after announcing I was done. I had no chance. <laughs> but you but had to finish it out. <laughs> I did. And, you know, my attitude is always, but I've told my kids from day one, if you're going to do something, do it right. Mm -hmm. Do it to the best of your ability. So literally, all of February, March, and April, I didn't take a single day off. I walked every night knocking mm -hmm. on doors, trying to salvage a respectable yeah. finish. Uh, but, <laughs> so uh, how'd you do in that race? I mean, so I beat him in Westfield, uh, which mm -hmm. he was really upset about. I beat him uh -huh. in Carmel. Uh, he beat me in Fishers by a few points, but he slaughtered me in Noblesville. He lives in Noblesville. Okay. Had a grocery store. His family had a grocery store. He was yeah. very well known. And in, so percentage, like, do you get, did you get 49% of the votes or did you get? Oh, no, no. In Noblesville, he beat me like 75 to 25. And oh, by the way, that's oh, the cool. biggest percent of voters for that district. Oh, so yeah, knowing now, what, if I'd have known that, then I probably would have said, yeah, there's no way I'm running, but uh -huh. I have zero regrets. I'm glad I yeah. won. I'm not beat, but man, I learned a lot from it. And I, obviously I ran for yeah. city council. Um, what in that running that where what was the signal that you were in over your head what was something was it what was the you know what were red flags that were popping up so the red flags were about two weeks after i announced he decided he's going to have a fundraiser and he was the chairman of the appropriations committee for the senate and if you don't know what the appropriations committee do they basically determine the budget uh -huh. so every lobbyist every vendor every company that could do business with the state wants it wants to be in his good graces he threw a fundraiser, raised about $300,000. <laughs> I had a fundraiser that raised about $10,000. And I knew uh -huh. I was <laughs> I mean, did you have any, did you even know that that's how it worked? I mean, that he was that or that? Okay. I thought that if I work hard and, and uh -huh. my background, being a Marine, that people are going to want to vote for me. I had no idea how hard it is to run for office, how much money it takes to get the, uh -huh. to, get, to reach voters. Uh -huh. And he outspent me 10 to one. And yeah. uh, he just, you know, I, I, the places I walked, I pretty much beat him in every precinct I walked, but you can only walk so much when you've yeah. got a, a, a county wide race. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, the places I couldn't get into, he was running TV, running radio, he's doing mailers and he, you know, he just slaughtered. So would you, cause I know you're not the type that just says, I'm not going to go fight that guy because I think he has a leg up. Knowing what you know now, do you think there's other ways to run against someone like that that has all the money? Um, or is it just that's what it is? Um, well, I don't think money is everything. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look historically, especially at state and federal level offices, 
generally the person with the most money tends to win. And it's yeah. just because it just takes a lot. And you're trying to yeah. reach, you know, hundreds to thousands to millions of voters. I don't mm -hmm. think in a local race, especially like city council, money helps. It always helps. Mm -hmm. But I, I can hit every door in Westfield, even a citywide race. So mm -hmm. money becomes a little less important when you're running more at the local level. But yeah, at yeah. the state level, um, I knew I had to raise money to win. I had assurances I could do it. And it collapsed on me. As soon as he raised 300000 every supporter of mine was going to write me a check said, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and you start so, getting those calls of, yeah, I know I told you I was going to write you a check, but I'm not going to now. Yeah, like, not now. No way. <laughs> they wrote him a check. So right. the, uh, yeah. So did you ever talk to him? What, what was his name? Luke, uh, Luke Kindler. Henley, yeah. Did I mean are you friends with friendly with him? Do you know him? I am. You know, I know okay. I was a thorn in his side and uh -huh. the election. He hated my guts, I'm sure. Uh -huh. uh, but you know, I see him at Republican events and and in fact you would see in my front yard when he beat me when he ran in the general election, I had his sign in my front yard. Um, yeah. I'm a team player, I'm a Republican. Yeah. I wanted yeah. whoever won that race, I wanted to win. So yeah. I was supportive of him. He saw that. He saw that I stayed. I stayed engaged in the party, um, and because of that, I think that I don't know if he'll ever look at me like a best buddy. No, <laughs> but he, you don't need that though. He certainly respects me, and and we have great conversations when I see him. So is is um, because you were going against him. What was something you thought you were doing different than him? What was your differentiator? Yeah, the big thing that I was passionate about was the school funding formula. Um, you know, the state with the property tax cap law that got passed in 2008, it changed how schools were financed. It used to be your local property taxes would pay for your schools. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the wealthier your community is, the better your school districts would be. Mm -hmm. So the state, in an attempt to balance that out, created what I called at the time a wealth redistribution program. Mm -hmm. And they literally collected up the property taxes designated for schools. It went to the state and then the state had a funding formula that would redistribute that money back out. Well, the wealthier of a community you were, the less money you got. Mm -hmm. So at the time when I ran, Westfield uh, was the fifth least funded school district in Indiana. And a lot of people didn't know that. They just mm -hmm. assumed, hey, we live in a great community with great schools and money's not an issue. And it was, our schools were really struggling for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And he was the author of that okay. formula. And that's- yeah that certainly fed into one of my concerns. So can I directly relate that Westfield was the fifth least fund? I'm not going to ask what you're drinking. Either it's a four-year-old's drink or it's like hypnotic with vodka. So, uh, well, I am fine. actually next week I'm gone. I'm doing the rim to rim to rim hike at the Grand Canyon. Uh huh. And this is an electrolyte drink to help get me hydrated for that. All right. Forty-eight hour nightmare that I'm getting ready to go through. So. Yeah, it sounds awful. Um, I'll be in bed those days. All right. So, so um, all right. So I forget what we were talking about. So you've uh, you joined the council or you ran for council. Um, you won your district, which I think you won very well. You're, you're very well known and popular in your district, I would say. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. I mean, you live, you've lived there for quite a few years and tell me about your council experience. You're, you've been on it for how long? Um, yeah. stuff like that. Just tell me about it. <laughs> so I've been on council for two and a half years and you know, it's been an interesting experience. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, there's parts of it I really love. Uh, we're at the grassroots of development projects and meeting with developers and trying to work through designs and, 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 and working through, you know, different ideas coming to the city around growth. Um, and that part I have a real passion for. Um, mm -hmm. But there are other things, you know, everything's political these days. Yep. Um, it, it's just not the national level. There seems like there's tension and infighting and bickering. And a lot of anger, quite frankly, and mm -hmm. uh, and and our council, we're not immune to that either. And there's been yeah. a lot of, as you know, a lot of discourse in our amongst our leaders. And uh, I've said this many times: as a Marine, I don't do drama. Yeah. Uh, let's solve problems and move on. Let's. If, mm -hmm. We're not benefiting our taxpayers by getting into some of the um, public displays mm -hmm. of discourse that we've had in our council. Yeah. That have been so. 
On day one, when you were running for council, what was something you identified, something you wanted to get in and help on right away? What was what was that? My big my big platform was running on diversifying our tax base. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Westfield is a place where you sleep. It's not a place where you live, work, and play. Yeah, uh, that's for Carmel and other places. And I really mm -hmm. wanted to see us diversify our commercial tax base. One so that we had the revenue to invest in our community and have nice things, you know, yeah. like Carmel has. Um, and, I, and I wanted to be able to stabilize our tax base so that if a recession comes, and ironically, we're probably at the cusp of that happening, um, we had a better tax base to work from so that we didn't experience the problems we had back in 07 and 08 when we had this last recession. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was all, and that's my background, you know, business development, working with yep. companies. So I really wanted to bring that that perspective to the council and help the city grow its tax base. Has, is the council the place to do that? Do you feel like after two years of being involved, is, is the council the incubator of additional tax revenue? Well, it starts with the mayor's office and his mm -hmm. team and his economic development team. It starts there, um, but council, <clears throat> council can either make that easy or make it difficult for the mayor's office. You know, yeah. If the mayor lands a business that wants to come to Westfield, the council gets involved. If there's any kind of financial incentives like abatements or the use of TIF dollars or anything like that, we have to approve that. And then the zoning piece of it, zoning the property for that use, uh, approving the architectural design of, mm -hmm. of, the, of the building or the business. I mean, all that is in the city council's hands. We're the final uh, voting approval of that. So if, if, we can make things very difficult for growth um, if we're not open-minded to some of the things. Because usually when a business comes, you know, they have so many options now. Everything's so global. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not saying, well, we're an Indiana business and want to be in Noblesville or Westfield. It's yeah. we're looking at places all over the world. Correct. You really have to lean into that and be flexible and be open-minded. And when you're not, you can turn them off pretty fast. So, um, Okay, so you're running for mayor. You're, you've been at the council a couple of years and you've decided to run for mayor. Now, I know you've been talking about it uh, for quite some time, I think 12 and a half years, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but you, you, it, you finally decided it's your turn to run for mayor. Um, Cause I think you talked about running previously, correct? I did, I almost ran last time. Yeah. Uh -huh. Why'd you not? Well, you know, on the business side, I still own my company. I own two companies, as you know. One of them you dramatically helped me with. Uh, but the, the, the big money maker and the thing that would take a lot of my day-to-day -day time, uh, I still owned it. And I didn't have an exit strategy. And mm -hmm. so I could have ran, but it would have created some issues elsewhere in my personal life, my family life that yep. I just felt like I needed a couple more years to get the ducks lined up for. So do you feel like all that stuff, this is the right time? Um, I do. You feel like it's all lined up and you, you, it was worth being patient and taking that time? Well, I'll tell you in a year and a half, I'll yeah. tell you in about eight months whether it was worth yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, for me personally, and just looking at where I was at in life, mm -hmm. that was the right decision at that moment. And I, I have no regrets on that. So you, you announced about a couple of weeks ago, right? I did, yeah. Have the same red flags popped up that when you were running against Luke Kenley popped no. up? <laughs> no. I'm much smarter. I've been at it for a lot longer time period. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I announced an exploratory committee, um, mm -hmm. guys, back last spring or fall. Um, yeah. And I took that year to really just talk to residents, talk to business owners, stakeholders in our city about mm -hmm. running and, and, and about my future. And, and uh, I felt like I did the homework and the preparation needed to, to go down this road. All right. So on very high level, um, what are some, what's, um, you want to run for mayor? Why? What are some general ideas? What are some things, problems? Could you like the, you're a problem guy. Um, what are some problems you see or what are some opportunities you see just from a general standpoint and why you want to be mayor for those? What, where, where do you, where, why are you jumping in? So the, I'm running on a platform of three issues and I'm very passionate about all three. First off, we've already talked about diversifying our tax base. It hasn't gotten much better uh, over the last couple of years. In fact, right now, our city's commercial pipeline is, it's dry. We, we have nothing. Um, at a time where you're seeing record number of businesses coming to Indiana, 
I mean, the last two years have been eye-poppingly amazing years for our state. And just look no further than Fishers, Carmel, Noblesville. It seems like on a daily basis now they're announcing these huge wins on the mm -hmm. uh, you know, new businesses coming to their community, investing billions mm -hmm. of dollars in its crickets here in Westfield. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's got to change um, because we cannot sustain, we can't provide world-class amenities and keep taxes low in Westfield if we don't do that. Um, so that's, that's probably number one priority for me. Number two is just managing the growth. We've got a lot of challenges around growth right now, whether it be infrastructure, whether it be housing, the schools, a lot of, a lot of challenges. And, and you're not going to stop the growth. There's people out there who are going to run for mayor. They're going to say, you know, stop all growth. Well, that's, that's, that's not realistic. Um, you know, I mentioned this when I announced I was running. I mean, if you do, if you look at the demographics over the last two decades, we're seeing a major shift to, towards urban areas. And that's not stopping. All signs are that's going to continue. People want to be near amenities, toward uh, things that they can go into a city and enjoy. They want world-class school districts for their kids. And that's Hamilton County. And so yeah. it's going to come. We can either ignore it and then get stuck like Fishers and Zionsville done where they were too late to, to address it. And now they're stuck with what they've got. Mm -hmm. We can lean into it and be proactive and, and manage it in a way where, you know, the city will thrive. We have you know, great amenities, good, solid business base, and we've got good housing. And I don't mm -hmm. know if Westfield's always done great housing. We, we've got some amazing subdivisions for sure, but I think everybody feels like we've grown so quickly that sometimes we're just slapping things up. Mm -hmm. and that's not going to be me. I want to see us grow, but mm -hmm. I want to do it the right way. And then lastly, mm -hmm. public safety. If you compare Westfield at our current population of 50,000 to Nobles, Noblesville and Fishers when they were a similar size, you'll see real quickly how far we are, how far we're behind. I mean, at, at that time, Noblesville had seven fire stations. Fishers had five. We've got three. That's it. And on a daily basis, um, we have emergency EMS runs coming, fire runs coming into our city from Carmel and Noblesville. We can't keep up. And, and that business, seconds matter. It's between life and death. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've got we've to get at least one, preferably two fire stations um, mm -hmm. in place. And each one of those is going to be a 15 to $20 million investment. Why, why have we not kept up with stuff like that? I feel, okay, the police thing, I feel like we have a lot of police. And I, I get this little text every morning with the police report, and it's pretty lame. Don't tell the bad guys. But it's Just because you're getting tickets on a regular basis, right? <laughs> yeah, when I'm getting pulled over, they look like they got nothing else to do. So, but no, like the fire, the fire, and I'm guessing ambulance stuff like that. Why are we behind um, if we've grown that much? Yeah, and I don't think on the police side, we're, we're off a few officers, but we're pretty mm -hmm. good. I would argue there's some technology capabilities out there that we're not taking advantage of that would better protect our residents and give our police the tools they need to do world-class policing. There's some things that we lack that I would want to invest in, but the fire department, we're certainly behind. We're way behind. And uh, not being mayor for the last 16 years, I don't, I don't have a great answer for that other than we had a lot of priorities. I mean, when you're growing as rapid as we were growing, you got roundabouts, you got widening of roads, you've got all the various things that our city was trying to keep up with. And I, I think you could argue that our fire department's done a great job in managing it, despite the fact that they're, mm -hmm. they haven't been able to keep up. Uh, they've been a little bit light on resources, but mm -hmm. it's coming to a boiling point now. We're running out of time to address it. So is it, we if we had more money and more fire stations, would we have the ability to get more firemen? And I mean, are the, are the people there that would do it? No, we, for every new fire station we add, that's 12 firefighters. Uh-huh. Uh, Frontline firefighters, there's probably, uh, as you grow, another couple of administrative leadership roles you'll have to add. And then you've got, you know, fire trucks, ambulances, and all the gear and equipment that comes with it. It's, like I said, it's a 15 to $20 million investment for one fire station. That's nuts. I had no idea about that. Where does that money, where does money come from for a fire department? Comes out of our operating budget. Directly out of the operating budget. Yeah, sure. That's and so, so we can take bonds out and you know, yeah. we'll ultimately have to bond it. We don't have the revenue out of our operating budget to pay for all this stuff. Um, but uh, comparatively speaking, so Carmel or Fishers, are they bonding things like that or do they have the revenue to do things like that? No, every city will have to use 
um, bonding strategies to um, to be able to keep up with the services that, that are needed for a city. And quite frankly, the state of Indiana, and you may not want to deep dive into this podcast about this, but municipal financing in Indiana is really a quirky thing. And it's it? crazy. You actually get rewarded for taking on more debt. The more debt uh -huh. you take on as a city, the more money you get back from the state. Uh -huh. And it's really shocking in a state that's as conservative as Indiana yeah. that we have a system that rewards debt. Um, so Brainerd and Carmel really built his empire around running up debt. Yeah. Uh, he did it. He did it smartly. A lot of people mm -hmm. would argue he's taken on too much debt, and I would be one of those. Mm -hmm. uh, but he certainly has taken advantage of every tool in the toolbox the state gives us to to have revenue to invest in his city. Um, so, for like example, last year the city council. Uh, discontinued a geo bond strategy that the city had. It was a $3 million annual bond. It's a mm -hmm. short-term bond that was paid out every five years. Uh, we got rid of it. And what that ended up resulting in is a two to $3 million loss in revenue to the city. And mm -hmm. your taxes didn't go down. It didn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't help the taxpayer. Um, it just yeah. pushes that money to some other taxing entity that they can use to invest in their community. So you've got to take on some debt, but there's obviously a fine line between good debt and bad debt. All right, so tax base. Um, let's go back to your list because I asked about your the public safety uh, tax base. Uh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by making our tax base better or improving it? So, and I, I don't have the numbers here in front, of me, but literally, if I'm remembering correctly, seventy to eighty percent of our tax revenue comes from assessed values of residential homes. So. Think about where we're, where we're going as a, as a country, where our economy is heading. If we get a recession and the values of homes start to plummet, which happens in every recession, that revenue, that assessed value starts to decrease. So if the, if the revenue, if the assessed values of the city decrease by 10, 15%, our tax base declines by 10 to 15%. So we only have so much money now to keep up with with our operating budget that we have to fund year in and year out and that's mm -hmm. how you get yourself underwater where the, you know your debt service and, and what you have to to pay to run your city is higher than the revenue that's coming in and that's we were faced with a very similar challenge in 07 and 08 when we had the housing crisis mm -hmm. you want i don't know what the magic number is but i know carmel's roughly I think it's 60, 40, 60 percent uh, residential, 40 percent commercial. And when you have that assessed values go down on homes, you've got that commercial tax base mm -hmm. to, to prop up your budget. Keep things going. Stable. Are we any? Well, do you know our our percentage or whatever, our balance? It's like 70, 70 to 80 percent is on the residential side. Is it's it? significant. I was actually okay. looked at it two days ago, but I don't have it here in front of That's me. Okay. Right pull off specifics. Um, and then managing growth. Uh, you don't mind growth. You know, we, a lot of people, it seems like, and we joke about this is an overused term, is everybody hopes they shut the gate to town as they move in. Everybody wants to be the last one here, and they moved here for that reason. Um, how do you manage? What do you think about managing growth? What do you mean by that? Well, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, the last person that moves in wants everything to stop. Yeah. Um, you know, people want to go to communities that are doing things right. Great schools, great amenities, diverse housing. There's a lot of things that go into that. And when you create that, people wanna be there. It's mm -hmm. kind of a novel concept. So if you wanna to continue to see Westfield grow and, and, and or maintain its world-class status, which I think we're on the cusp of, mm -hmm. um, you're gonna have people wanting to come in. And so at the end of the day, what do you do about that? Do you, you try to pretend like it's not gonna happen? I mean. Fishers did that for a long time. And now you go down 116th street and tell me how much you like that. I mean, they built, they built their city and forgot about their infrastructure because they were trying not to grow. Zionsville's got similar challenges right now. So my philosophy is you lean into it and you have a plan and then you execute that plan in a way that benefits the residents. So every nook and cranny of Westfield, I, I have a vision for, and, mm -hmm. and we're going to continue to develop it and build it out. But I, I want to have a vision that I can go to the business community or I can go to the development community and say, this is what we want in Westfield. Help us achieve that versus what you're seeing now, especially on State Road 32. 
I mean, how many people like that? It's restaurants, it's donut mm-hmm. shops, it's, you know, tire shops. Mm-hmm. Um, our zoning is such and our standards are such we're getting whatever the markets are pushing our way, mm-hmm. um, whatever the easiest path, of re, uh, the least path of resistance, and it's, it's mm-hmm. gravitating on 32. So I want to have a plan so that we can have a very thought out mm-hmm. um, a vision for our city. And then that helps on the whole growth side as well with, with our schools. You know, we have a comprehensive plan that's been pretty accurate in, in determining what our, our population has been, um, but there's some areas of it that really need developed out that I think are, um, it's not clear what we want, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure we really want what we're allowing there. Um, so yeah. let's do a well thought out plan and then go to the business community and ask them to help support us. And, and do so what's the, what is the time, how long does it take, do you think, to really do a fresh comprehensive, because it's a good base, the comprehensive plan probably when it was drawn up was good but i mean it's old and it doesn't work anymore in my eyes and i deal with a lot of the development community um do you think a new comprehensive plan is a couple of years is it something that takes an entire first term is it three months i mean what is it in your eyes that you can't afford to wait mm-hmm. a term or a year or two that and there a lot of people hundreds of people were involved in developing that comprehensive plan Mm-hmm. And I don't personally think we have to go through there and, and do wide changes to it. Mm-hmm. There are some corners here and there and some things that I want to change, but I see that being number one priority when I come in as mayor is getting a mm-hmm. team together of residents in the community. Not a lot. You, you get a hundred people involved. It's just a big bureaucratic slow machine yep. uh, to get a handful, a dozen or so of thoughtful people and you mm-hmm. peel the onion back and you figure out, okay, here's the changes we need to make and you get it out. And, and you make those changes and get it out into the public sphere so that we can start driving that forward. Because mm-hmm. with every new building going up, we're losing chances to do it the way we want to do it. Yeah, get behind. Um, I would like that. So um, on the economic development side, what do you think, what's, uh, so to create that tax base, what kind of businesses do you think need to be chased? That, uh, what, you know, we, we talked, Grand Park was the vision 10 years ago, I guess that's probably at this point. Um, um, and so the sport, you know, I remember at one point we're a hospitality community and, you know, we're in the business of sports and okay, that's cool, but it just not quite. <laughs> and so what do you think, what type of industry and business and advanced manufacturing is really cool to say. Um, but what do you think realistically is what, what we chase, or do you know that yet? And, and how do we get that uh, versus everyone else winning those deals? Yeah. So I, I, first off, it's great. We've got grand park and, and it is, it is an economic driver for us and we need to capitalize. I don't think we've done enough to capitalize on it, but we don't want to turn into a hospitality city. I mean, that that's Kokomo, Indiana, where I grew up is dying right now. Crime rates are off the, off the charts. Um, taxes are skyrocketing because they built their city around one industry, the automotive mm-hmm. industry. And when it collapsed, the city collapsed. So we need to diversify that. Yes, Grand Park in the business of sports. We need to be out there targeting businesses that are in the business of sports. Uh, and that doesn't mean a dick sporting goods across the street from Grand Park, although that would be great. I'm talking businesses that are doing research and development and creation of products that could benefit from having a world-class facility like Grand Park in their backyard. We need to go out and identify those. And we're losing those right now. And some of it's like, you know, Andretti Motorsports. You know, we don't have a racetrack around Grand Park, but they're in the business of sports. I, I saw that as a, an opportunity for real synergy, and we lost it. Um, you know, the what was it? The Indy Fuel just announced they own land right across from Grand Park. A plan was always to put it there, and they mm-hmm. and they're going out, going away from Westfield. Those are businesses we got to capture. But Scott, second, why are we why are we losing those businesses? Why have we lost those? My opinion, because we have yeah. a reputation of not being very friendly to development. I mean, go watch our city council meetings. Go watch mm-hmm. our APC meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we have a local businesswoman, uh, I Beach, who has had a facility here in Grant and Westfield for years. Wants to expand and create a world class volleyball indoor outdoor volleyball facility, and it's been tied up at APC for eight nine months. And we mm-hmm. keep now we're arguing about how many trees do we want on the west side of the building. I mean, for God's sake, people. I mean, this is a great, these are easy things. Let's get this thing done and get it to the finish line because time matters in corporate America. She's spending a lot of money to try to get this off the ground. And the longer Mm -hmm. we jerk her around, the less likely it is she's going to end up, you know, putting her business here. We got to be business friendly. 
That's a good example. I feel like when Grand Park was built, part of the we're a hospitality, you know, part of the thing was creating things for the visitors and the community. And it's almost like that's like the perfect ancillary business around Grand Park. And for us to not have a, a streamlined way for that to happen is silly at this point. I mean, well, we're so far along. You're right. And we're, we're, we're arguing over architectural standards. Well, here's a mm-hmm. newsflash for you. If you're in the business of sports, you're not going to put a brick and stone, you know, multi-million dollar building for people to come in and play volleyball. Yeah. Uh, so if you want that business, if you want to be this, the youth sports capital of, of America, well, then you have to develop an architectural standard <clears throat> that these businesses can can be profitable with. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what's hung up High Beach is didn't like the first building design. And then so she moved off it was right there at Grand Park. So she's moving off of Grand Park, maybe a half a mile to hopefully have the, the architectural standards loosen. And then that got shot down. So she's just been chasing her tail. And uh, I know it's easy to look back and be critical, but is there a way to rewrite that around Grand Park to where it is more attractive to businesses to move there or more po- the possibilities greater? Because yeah. yeah, if I was looking to build something and I don't need the Taj Mahal, why would I ever build the Taj Mahal just to satisfy a local, a piece of paper that someone that doesn't do it probably wrote it. So is there a way to back that off or correct it? Or is that? <coughs> there um, is. And you got to be careful. We don't want, you know, pole barn type designs yeah. mm-hmm. um, around Grand Park either. So mm-hmm. I'm not here to say that we just completely abandon all standards, but there's got to yeah. be a balance. And, 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 and it needs, like you said, there needs to be a way where we, ha- we can have an instant business coming in and saying, here's our standards. This is what we expect. Mm-hmm. We're not going to deviate from it. Um, and, and you know, let them take it from there. We have. Well, I think we're at that. It's just not reasonable. I think we're at that. Yeah. We're just not real or realistic. Yeah. Um, Scott, how have we? Um, and this is. I need you to be the mayor candidate now, where it is a contest. Um, how have we? I I work in Westfield. That's really the only place I work. I do my commercial real estate, and I talk to a lot of developers and city people. I'm kind of in the middle a lot, and I like that. But um. How have we missed what I think has been maybe one of the greatest growth decades or periods for our community? And I know it's not over. We're going to be here for 8,000 years, right? But how have we missed it completely uh, versus um, everyone else that seems to have taken advantage of it? Um, I I know it's not everyone else, but it just... That's what it seems like. How have we missed that? And, and I would argue we're missing it. I mean, if Noblesville, uh-huh. Fishers, and Carmel are killing it, you could even make an argument Zinesville starting to finally get in the game. Who the fuck? I mean, Lebanon is beating us now, right? I mean, it's 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 all over the place. So I would argue that we we are losing out. But I think it, it boils down to um, desire. Uh, we don't have a council right now that wants to grow at all. We've had councilors in city council meetings say, we don't need another house. We don't need another business. Our finances are just fine. So there's no, there's no welcoming mat being rolled out. <laughs> and again, please come. <laughs> yeah, please, we want you and we're willing to do what it takes to get you here. We're, we're losing that. But that Scott, battle, you're, it doesn't take you're long running, that reputation to get out there. You're running for mayor, though. And so if it's the council that's doing it, what can because you're not going to get a completely different council next time. As a matter of fact, I think your council probably some of those people that are fighting it are pretty popular um, or they're, they have a very noisy following, which that's fair. And so if you end up with a difficult council, what what can the mayor do to be battling that um, or to find a happy medium? How, how do you resolve that? Well, I think it starts with having a vision. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I use this example a lot on the campaign trail. I mean, people think as a Marine that because I'm an officer and I say charge the hill, Marines are just going to charge the hill. It doesn't quite mm-hmm. work that way, um, especially when they know if you charge a hill, you may not come back alive. Yeah. Uh, it takes a leader that people can rally around with a vision and, and can explain the mission in a way where people feel compelled to charge that hill, regardless of what might come their way. 
And mm -hmm. so it starts with that vision. And I certainly am a vision guy and I'll have mm -hmm. that vision. My goal is to bring in the council members, the leaders of our community and get a buy-in to that vision. And we're not going to all see it eye to eye. That's just not reality. Um, there may be a counselor that's completely anti-growth, but maybe I can yeah. get four or five counselors who are open to certain types of growth. We find mm -hmm. that common ground and then we work together to solve the city problems and, and, and do the right things for our community. And that's the second piece is you got to be willing to listen. Yeah. And sometimes you're not going to get what you want. Sometimes you're not always right. Mm -hmm. uh, and being willing to listen to other ideas and to process that and say, you know what? I hear you. Let's mm -hmm. do something different. Right now, nobody in Westfield's leadership team on any side of the fence is listening to <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's never productive. Uh, no. So we got to change that. I know, and I think you're right. I think that's one of the hard things to watch is I honestly don't think, um, I mean, we probably know too much being from local yokels, you know, but I honestly don't think the counselors hate Westfield or don't want to see it do well or, or they're not smart. I mean, these are smart people. Um, and I don't think, I just think it's a miscommunication. There's a big misunderstanding of each other. And I think no one's taken the time to understand the other side that's because right. there is so much angst and animosity. And that's what I think is important going forward is that there has to be a working relationship. Um, I would agree a hundred percent. Every city mm -hmm. councilor in Westfield is doing the best that they think they can do. They're doing mm -hmm. the things that they feel are right for, for our community. And yeah. we're not, we don't obviously agree on what that is, but mm -hmm. I don't think there's a counselor out there trying to sabotage Westfield. Uh, <laughs> no. I just don't. Uh, yeah. And I may not like some of the decisions that are coming out of our council, but mm -hmm. um, I feel like people have goodwill in what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe that, that um, there's been a lot of baggage we brought some baggage into to our, our office to into mm -hmm. our term and some preconceived notions about the city, the mayor, the clerk, whoever. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and that has certainly shut down um, communication and willingness mm -hmm. to cooperate. And, you know, look at some of the things we did as a council when we first uh, got into office. I mean, it was very combative day one. And yeah. that doesn't usually set a good tone. So. so, okay, so on exciting, happier things um, or more positive things, what do you see our downtown being? Where our downtown, um, I think someone said it looked like a World War II uh, <laughs> area because the cinder block and vacant lots for a while, which I think is hilarious. But um, what do you, how do you see downtown progressing? I mean, I think it's so small what we talk about is our downtown. Do you see it growing? Do you see it being? mixed use I mean, where is it in five years to you or 10 years yeah so i use this i, I was on a radio talk radio show a couple of weeks ago and i used this analogy if you start on the far eastern side of westfield on state road 32 let's say mm -hmm. um, Perry road and you mm -hmm. drive all the way through downtown westfield to the far west side of westfield and then and you've never been here before and then i tell mm -hmm. you hey by the way westfield routinely ranks as one of the best cities in america to live in you're gonna be like, what? <laughs> you mean drive? You're gonna be serious, right? <laughs> I mean, look at some of the. I mean, I used to joke up until here recently that a centerpiece of our downtown businesses was a used appliance store. <laughs> right? Come on, nice really? Place. Yeah. It was. So, so yeah, it's it's got to change. I I want our downtown to be a walkable, thriving, gathering place for our community. Yeah. Um, and that's going to involve some density. No businesses are going to come to Westfield. No, you're not going to be able to pull off very much parking garages or some of the, the infrastructure you need to create a place where people want to be if you don't have density. And businesses can't survive on evening and weekend business. You know, they got to have people living and working and playing in that community. So we need to make, bring some density there, but it's going to be mixed use. We're going to have shops and restaurants where people can come and, and, and spend the day downtown. I want to see us expand Park Street. Um, mm -hmm. Park Street needs to be what we've got now with Greeks and Italian House and Chiba. I want to see all the way uh, to the very end of the road to look like that. And I talked a little bit about this in my announcement. I mean, what if we shut down? And nobody's going to like this right now, but what if you shut down parking and street traffic on Park Street? Mm -hmm. And then you bring in, you know, outdoor fire pits and benches and strings of lights going down Park Street. Mm -hmm. It becomes a, a, a boulevard of fun where people come mm -hmm. and gather and it's a place on the weekends where people are hanging out and live music all kinds of fun things and that's really what i want to see mm -hmm. 
happen in our downtown. I'm super excited. Obviously, I'm on the library board, uh, but I'm super excited about seeing the library come downtown because yeah. um, that's going to be That'd a be nice. destination and it's yeah. going to help our downtown area. It's going to help revive it. So, Scott, how do we get? Um, I was in, I don't know if you and I were working together then, but, uh, but or knew each other then well, but early years of Downtown Westfield Association, there would be meetings of uh, counselors were there and city people and uh, uh, like community members and, you know, the Mick Meads and the Jim Aches and, you know, the mayor or someone from the mayor's office. And it was like people were together kind of dreaming and excited about things. There was no talk of, uh, I guess there were no battle wounds yet. Yeah. And no, no, you know, back to it, history. How do we get back to where there's a, a community of people trying to do awesome stuff in our downtown? How do we get to that again? Because um, well, I miss that, and I think we need it. Well, I agree, <laughs> and and I, yes, I was at some of those meetings. I was a part of that. Mm -hmm. You got to pass the torch off to the next generation. Um, uh -huh. You know, a lot of those key decision makers at the early stages of our city are, you know, in their late sixties to early eighties, and. Mm -hmm it's hard to run a city. It's hard just on council. Yeah. I mean, geez, I bet I spend 20, 30 hours a week on city council business. Yeah, and I got yeah. a full-time job and I'm running for office and all these other things. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy to do that. And that's why I don't think, you know, Brainer just announced he's retiring after what, 28 years in office. <laughs> it's I crazy. Mean, God love him, but that's a, yeah. but twice as long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't, it's time to pass the baton off to the ne next generation and, and bring some new energy and, and new eyes to the problems. I mean, you know, I think um, our city's done a good job up to this point of growing, but um, we've hit a wall. I don't think there's new ideas out there to change that. And it's just time for some fresh blood and ideas to come in and, and uh, take us to that next level. Do you think you can get that going? Do you think you have that? Do you think you can get that energy going and, get some excitement for what's going on and get to rally the troops for that once you're mayor? I mean, I, you know me, uh, I'm full of energy. I mean, I'm out and about everywhere. I, I run a hundred miles an hour all the time. That's just who uh -huh. I am. Um, I'm super passionate about Westfield and about our community and, and, and building something that we can look back future generations can look back on and say, wow, aren't we lucky? I mean, that's what gets me up every day. So yeah, I, I don't think that'll be, any issue for me although i will say i won't be mayor at 75 either <laughs> i have <laughs> no desire you? to hang around that long man so if you are don ditzler i love you guys man but that, that's not going to be me i'm going to give you such a hard time if you're mayor at 75 <laughs> from wherever i'm at i'm not going to be up here um, all right so how scott can people what do you think are like a couple places where we got a lot of people that aren't involved and I think this, so this is a critical uh, election in my eyes from a business standpoint and from being a part of the community. Very critical. I want to get people involved. Where are, where are a couple of ways that people that aren't involved uh, can maybe jump in and dip their toe in this and try to help or, or not, you know, fight or whatever, just have a voice. Where do you think people should get involved? Yeah, first you have to, you have to actually be aware of what's happening around mm -hmm. you. I'm going around and doing a lot of talking to people right now, obviously for my race. And it's surprising how many people just don't even pay attention. Um, you know, they, Hey, Westfield's a great place. We're just assuming it's nothing's going to change. And they're not really familiar with some of the challenges we're facing. So, so first you just got to get involved and whether that's showing up at a school board meeting or a city council meeting, but showing you mm -hmm. care and, 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 and uh, participating in the process of government. On top mm -hmm. of that, we have many, many committees at the city, the city, the library, the township, you know, non-for-profits are all looking for board members to help guide those organizations. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm on several of them. I know, Kurt, you've been involved in some of them as well. And, and there's all kinds of opportunities to give back. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll find that once you get involved in, in, a, in an organization like that, you get connected and mm -hmm. then you start to understand the challenges and then you start to understand why are the why do we have those challenges and and it just it, it just kind of snowballs from there mm -hmm. but, but sitting at home um you know everybody's incredibly busy i get that but mm -hmm. um, you know you owe it to yourself it, it's funny because the turnout rate for a presidential election are way bigger than a local election but i would mm -hmm. argue nobody impacts your life more 
than your local elected officials. I mean, mm -hmm. everyday decisions we make are impacting your life. Um, so you owe it to yourself to get involved. So um, let's talk a couple numbers real quick before we get, by the way, you're my longest podcast yet. Oh, man, and, I like to talk. <laughs> yeah, well, and I was just thinking about that. I could do three hours here, Scott, but um, what, how many votes win election or how many people vote for the mayor election in Westfield historically? Do you know those numbers? Yeah, roughly. You now, of course, we're talking four years ago or two uh -huh. and a half years ago. It's, we've changed a lot, but roughly, uh, roughly six to seven thousand is why I okay. think we'll see this next election. All right. So a fraction. Uh, uh, is that average? Is that typical? Or is that? Well, last year was actually, last election was really low, but keep in uh -huh. mind, we did have a, a contested mayor's race. Yeah. And that tends to draw out the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, most people, and I'm on city council, but most people don't get excited about voting for a city council. Most people know who their city councilors are. <laughs> uh, right. so, um, so I try to keep it in perspective, but having, we'll have a contested mayor's race. I'm expecting yep. three or four candidates running for mayor. Mm -hmm. I, every council seat I expect will be contested by at least one, maybe two people. Um, mm -hmm. So there'll be a lot. I think you'll see a lot of energy for this next mm -hmm. election. I don't think it's going to dramatically shift the numbers, but it'll be better than last time. Okay. Well, Scott, I appreciate your uh, time. I think uh, you're going to be a great candidate. I think you'd be a great mayor. Um, I'm excited about this. I think yeah, I've been waiting kind of for a, a flip um, or just some energy. So this is cool. Um, so congratulations and thanks for being on my podcast. And we'll put some information below about how to reach out to your campaign or get involved with stuff. So thank you very much. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity. Bro. Fight, 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 fight.